Welcome to the Enchanted Library, where we turn the pages of books, beautiful and old, living and magical. It's time to curl up, get cozy, and join us on an adventure. Today we're reading from Beautiful Joe by Margaret Marshall Saunders. Chapter 20. Stories about animals. Mrs. Woods asked permission to say a few words just here, and the president said, certainly, we're always glad to hear from you. She went up on the platform and faced a room full of children. Dear boys and girls, she began, you all know that nearly every tree and plant that grows swarms with insect life and they couldn't grow if the birds didn't eat the insects that would devour their foliage. All day long, the little beaks of the birds are busy. The dear little rose-breasted grosbeak carefully examines the potato plants and picks off the beetles. The martins destroy weevil, the quail and grouse family eat the chinch bug, and the woodpeckers dig the worms from the trees, and many other birds devour the flies and gnats and mosquitoes that torment us so. No flying or crawling creature escapes their sharp little eyes. A great Frenchman says that if it weren't for the birds, human beings would quickly perish from the face of the earth. They are doing all this for us, and how are we rewarding them? All over America, they are hunted and killed. Every bird of the rarer kinds that is killed, such as hummingbirds, orioles, and kingfishers, means the death of several others. That is, the young that starve to death, the wounded that fly away to die, and those whose plumage is so torn it is not fit to put in a fine lady's hat. In some cases where birds have gay wings and the hunters do not need the rest of the body, they tear off the wings from the living bird and throw it away to die. I am sorry to tell you such painful things, but I think you ought to know them. You will soon be men and women. Do what you can to stop this dreadful trade. Our beautiful birds are being taken from us, and the insect pests are increasing. The state of Massachusetts has lost thousands of dollars because it did not protect its birds. The gypsy moth stripped the trees near Boston, and the state had to pay out enormous sums of money, and even then they could not get rid of the moths. The birds could have done it better than the state, but they were mostly gone. My last words to you are, protect the birds. Mrs. Woods went to her seat, and though the boys and girls had listened very attentively, none of them cheered her. Their faces looked sad, and they kept very quiet for a few minutes. I saw one or two little girls wiping their eyes. I think they felt sorry for the birds. "'Has any boy done anything about blinders and check reins?' asked the president after a time. A brown-faced boy stood up. "'I had a picnic last Monday,' he said. "'Father let me cut all the blinders off our headstalls with my penknife.' "'How did you get him to consent to that?' "'I told him,' said the boy, "'that I couldn't get to sleep for thinking of him. "'You know he drives a good deal late at night. "'I told him that every dark night he came from Sudbury. "'I thought of the deep ditch alongside the road "'and wished his horses hadn't blinders on. "'Then every night he comes from the junction "'and has to drive along the river bank "'where the water has washed away the earth "'till the wheels of the wagon are within a foot or two of the edge. "'I wished again his horses could see each side of them, "'for I knew they'd have sense enough "'to keep out of danger if they could see it. "'Father said that might be very true, "'and yet his horses had been broken in with blinders, "'and didn't I think they'd be inclined to shy "'if he took them off? "'And wouldn't they be frightened to look around "'and see the wagon wheels so near?' 
I told him that for every accident that happened to a horse without blinders, several happened to a horse with them. And I gave him Mr. Wood's opinion, Mr. Wood's out at Dingley Farm. He says the worst thing against blinders is that a frightened horse never knows when he has passed the thing that scared him. He always thinks it's behind him. The blinders are there and he can't see he has passed it and he can't turn his head to have a good look at it. So often he goes tearing madly on, and sometimes lives are lost, all on the account of a little bit of letter fastened over a beautiful eye that ought to look out free and full at the world. That finished father. He said he'd take off the blinders, and if he had an accident, he'd send the bill for damages to Mr. Wood. But we've had no accident. The horses did act rather queerly at first and started a little, but they soon got over it. Now they go as steady without blinders as they ever did with them. The boy sat down, and the president said, "'I think it is time we threw off this foolishness of half covering our horse's eyes. "'Just put your hands up to your eyes, members of the band. "'Half cover them, and see how shut in you will feel, "'and how curious you will be to know what is going on beside you. "'Suppose a girl saw a mouse with her eyes half covered. "'Wouldn't she run?' "'Everybody laughed.' and the president asked someone to tell him who invented blinders. A very rich man, shouted a boy, who had a wall-eyed horse. He wanted to cover up the defect, and I think it is a great shame that so many horses have to suffer because that one had an ugly eye. So do I, said the president. Three groans for blinders, boys. All the children in the room made three dreadful noises away down in their throats. Then they had another good laugh, and the president became sober again. Seven more minutes,' he said. "'This meeting has got to be let out at five sharp.' "'A tall girl at the back of the room rose and said, "'My little cousin has two stories she would like to tell the band.' "'Very well,' said the president. "'Bring her right along.' "'The big girl came forward, leaning a tiny child "'whom she placed in front of the boys and girls. "'The child stared up into her cousin's face, "'turning and twisting her white pinafore through her fingers. "'Every time the big girl took her pinafore away from her, "'she picked it up again.' "'Begin, Nanny,' said the big girl kindly. "'Well, Cousin Eleanor,' said the child, "'you know Topsy, Graham's pony. "'Well, Topsy would run away, "'and a big, big man came out to Papa "'and said he would train Topsy. "'So he drove her every day "'and beat her and beat her till he was tired. "'But still, Topsy would run away. "'Then Papa said he would not have the poor pony "'whipped so much, "'and he took her a piece of bread every day, "'and he petted her, "'and now Topsy is very gentle "'and never runs away.' "'Tell about Tiger,' said the girl. "'Well, Cousin Eleanor,' said the child, "'you know Tiger, our big dog. "'He used to be a bad dog, "'and when Dr. Fairchild drove up to the house, "'he jumped up and bit at him. "'Dr. Fairchild used to speak kindly to him "'and throw out bits of meat, "'and now when he comes, "'Tiger follows behind and wags his tail. "'Now give me a kiss.' "'The girl had to give her a kiss "'right up there before everyone, "'and what a stamping the boys made.' The larger girl blushed and hurried back to her seat, with the child clinging to her hand. There was one more story, about a brave Newfoundland dog that saved eight lives by swimming out to a wrecked sailing vessel and getting a rope by which the men came ashore. Then a lad got up, whom they all greeted with cheers and cries of, "'The poet! The poet!' I didn't know what they meant, till Mrs. Wood whispered to Laura that he was a boy who made rhymes, and the children would rather hear him speak than anyone else in the room." He had a snub nose and freckles, and I think he was the plainest boy there, but that didn't matter. The other children loved him. He sauntered up to the front, with his hands behind his back, in a very grand manner. 
The beautiful poetry recited here today, he drawled, put some verses in my mind that I never had till I came here today. Everyone present cheered wildly, and he began in a sing-song voice. I am a band of mercy boy. I would not hurt a fly. I always speak to dogs and cats whene'er I pass them by. I always let the birdies sing. I never throw a stone. I always give a hungry dog a nice fat meaty bone. I wouldn't drive a bobtailed horse nor hurry up a cow. I... Then he forgot the rest. The boys and girls were so sorry. They called out pig, goat, calf, sheep, hens, ducks, and all the other animals' names they could think of. But not one of them was right. And as the boy had just made up the poetry, no one knew what the next could be. He stood up for a long time staring at the ceiling, and then he said, I guess I'll have to give up. The children looked dreadfully disappointed. Perhaps you will remember it by our next meeting, said the president anxiously. Possibly, said the boy. But probably not. I think it is gone forever. And he went back to his seat. The next thing was to call for new members. Miss Laura got up and said she would like to join their band of mercy. I followed her to the platform while they pinned a little badge on her, and everyone laughed at me. Then they sang, God bless our native land, and the president told us we might all go home. It seemed to me a lovely thing for those children to meet together to talk about kindness to animals. They all had bright and good faces, and many of them stopped to pat me as I came out. One little girl gave me a biscuit from her school bag. Mrs. Woods waited at the door till Mr. Maxwell came limping out on his crutches. She introduced him to Miss Laura and invited him to go and take tea with them. He said he would be very happy to do so. And then Mrs. Wood laughed and asked if he hadn't better empty his pockets first. She didn't want a little toad jumping over her tea table, as one did the last time he was there. Chapter 21. Mr. Maxwell and Mr. Harry. Mr. Maxwell wore a coat with loose pockets. And while she was speaking, he rested on his crutches and began to slap them with his hands. "'No, there's nothing here today,' he said. "'I think I emptied my pockets before I went to the meeting.' Just as he said that, there was a loud squeal. "'Oh, my guinea pig!' he exclaimed. "'I forgot him.' And he pulled out a little spotted creature a few inches long. "'Poor Derry, did I hurt you?' And he soothed it very tenderly. I stood and looked at Mr. Maxwell, for I had never seen anyone like him. He had thick curly hair and a white face, and he looked just like a girl.' While I was staring at him, something rose up from one of his pockets and ran out its tongue at me so fast I could scarcely see it, and then drew back again. I was thunderstruck. I had never seen such a creature before. It was long and thin and of a bright green color like grass, and it had queer shiny eyes. Its tongue was the strangest part of it, and came and went like lightning. I was uneasy and began to bark. "'What's the matter, Joe?' said Mrs. Wood. "'The pig won't hurt you.' but it wasn't the pig I was afraid of, and I kept on barking. And all the time that strange live thing kept sticking up its head and putting out its tongue at me, and none of them noticed it. It's getting on towards six, said Mrs. Wood. We'd better be going home. Come, Mr. Maxwell. The young man put the guinea pig on his pocket, picked up his crutches, and we started down the sunny village street. He left his guinea pig at his boarding house as he went by, but he said nothing about the other creature, so I knew he did not know it was there. I was very much taken with Mr. Maxwell. He seemed so bright and happy in spite of his lameness, which kept him from running about like other young men. He looked a little older than Miss Laura, and one day, a week or two later, when they were sitting on the veranda, I heard him tell him that he was just nineteen. 
He told her, too, that his lameness made him love animals. They never laughed at him or slighted him or got impatient because he could not walk quickly. They were always good to him, and he said he loved all animals, while he liked very few people. On this day, as he was limping along, he said to Mrs. Wood, "'I am getting more absent-minded every day. Have you heard of my latest escapade?' No, she said. I am glad, he replied. I was afraid it would be all over the village by this time. I went to church last Sunday with my poor guinea pig in my pocket. He hadn't been well, and I was attending to him before church and put him in there to get warm and forgot about him. Unfortunately, I was late and the back seats were all full, so I had to sit farther up than I usually do. During the first hymn, I happened to strike Piggy against the side of the seat. Such an ear-splitting squeal as he sat up. It sounded as if I was murdering him. The people stared and stared, and I had to leave the church overwhelmed with confusion. Mrs. Wood and Miss Laura laughed, and then they got talking about other matters that were not interesting to me, so I did not listen. But I kept close to Miss Laura, for I was afraid that green thing might hurt her. I wondered very much what its name was. I don't think I should have feared it so much if I had known what it was. "'There's something the matter with Joe,' said Miss Laura, when we got down the lane. "'What is it, dear fellow?' She put down her little hand, and I licked it, and I wished I could speak. Sometimes I wish very much I had the gift of speech. Then at other times I see how little it would profit me, and how many foolish things I should often say. And I don't believe human beings would love animals so well if they could speak.' when we reached the house, we had a joyful surprise. There was a trunk standing on the veranda, and as soon as Mrs. Wood saw it, she gave a little shriek. My dear boy! Mr. Harry was there, sure enough, and stepped through the open door. He took his mother in his arms and kissed her. Then he shook hands with Miss Laura and Mr. Maxwell, who seemed to be an old friend of his. They all sat down on the veranda and talked, and I lay at Miss Laura's feet and looked at Mr. Harry. He was a handsome young man, and had such a noble face. He was older and graver looking than when I saw him last, and he had a light brown mustache that he did not have when he was in Fairport. He seemed very fond of his mother and of Miss Laura, and however grave his face might be when he was looking at Mr. Maxwell, it always lighted up when he turned to them. "'What dog is that?' he asked at last, in a puzzled way, pointing at me. "'Why, Harry!' exclaimed Miss Laura. "'Don't you know, beautiful Joe, that you rescued from that wretched milkman?' "'Is it possible,' he said, "'that this well-conditioned creature is the bundle of dirty skin and bones that we nursed in Fairport? "'Come here, sir. Do you remember me?' "'Indeed, I did remember him. "'And I licked his hands and looked up gratefully into his face.' "'You're almost handsome now,' he said, caressing me with a firm, kind hand. "'And of a solid build, too. You look like a fighter. "'But I suppose you wouldn't let him fight, even if he wanted to, Laura.' "'And he smiled and glanced at her. "'No,' she said. "'I don't think I should. "'But he can fight when the occasion requires it.' "'And she told him about our night with Jenkins.' All the time she was speaking, Mr. Harry held me by the paws "'and stroked my body over and over again.' When she finished, he put his head down to me and murmured, "'Good dog,' and I saw that his eyes were red and shining. "'That's a capital story. We must have it at the Band of Mercy,' said Mr. Maxwell. Mrs. Wood had gone to help prepare the tea, so the two young men were alone with Miss Laura. When they had done talking about me, she asked Mr. Harry a number of questions about his college life and his trip to New York, for he had not been studying all the time he was away.' "'What are you going to do with yourself, Gray, when your college course is ended?' said Mr. Maxwell. 
I'm going to settle down right here, said Mr. Harry. What, be a farmer? asked his friend. Well, yes, why not? Uh, nothing, only I imagined you would take a profession. Uh, suppose I did and went to a city. I shouldn't like it. The heat and the dust and crowds of people, the buildings overtopping one another, and the rush of living take my breath away. You know I am not an intellectual giant. I should never distinguish myself in any profession. I should be a poor lawyer or doctor, living in a back street all the days of my life, and never watch a tree or flower grow, or tend an animal, or have a drive unless I paid for it. No, thank you. I agree with President Elliot of Harvard. He says scarcely one person in 10,000 betters himself permanently by leaving his rural home and settling in a city. But most farmers lead such a dog's life, said Mr. Maxwell so they do. Farming isn't made one half of as attractive as it should be. Mr. Harry was readily willing to admit. Mr. Maxwell smiled. Attractive farming. Just sketch an outline of that, will you, Gray? In the first place, said Mr. Harry, I should like to tear out of the heart of the farmer the thing that is as firmly implanted in him as it is in the heart of his city brother, the thing that is doing more to harm our nation than anything else under the sun. "'What is it?' said Mr. Maxwell curiously. "'The thirst for gold. "'The farmer wants to get rich, "'and he works so hard to do it "'that he wears himself out, soul and body. "'And the young people around him "'get so disgusted with that way of getting rich "'that they go off to the cities to find some other way, "'or at least to enjoy themselves, "'for I don't think many young people "'are animated by a desire to heap up money.' "'Mr. Maxwell looked amused.' "'There is certainly a great exodus from country places cityward,' he acknowledged. "'What would be your plan in checking it?' "'I would make the farm so pleasant. "'You couldn't hire the boys and girls to leave it. "'I would have them work, and work hard, too. "'But when their work was over, let them have some fun. "'That is what they go to the city for. "'They want amusement and society, "'and to get into some kind of crowd when their work is done.' The young men and young women want to get together, as is only natural. Now that could be done in the country. If farmers would be contented with smaller profits and smaller farms, their houses could be nearer together. Their children would have opportunities of social intercourse. There could be societies and clubs, and that would tend to a distribution of literature. A farmer ought to take five or six papers and two or three magazines. It would pay him in the long run. Mr. Maxwell smiled. "'and you ought to make him mend his roads as well as mend his ways. "'I tell you, Gray, the bad roads would put an end to all these fine schemes of yours. "'Imagine farmers calling on each other on a dark evening after a spring freshet. "'I can see them mired and bogged, and the house a mile ahead of them.' "'That is true,' said Harry. "'The road question is a serious one. "'Do you know how Father and I settled it?' "'No,' said Mr. Maxwell. "'We got so tired of the whole business.' and the farmers around here spent so much time discussing whether we needed this or that number of stump extractors and how many shovels and crushers and ditchers would be necessary to keep our roads in order, and so on, that we simply withdrew. Once a year, Father gets a gang of men and tackles every section of road that borders upon our land, and our roads are the best around here. I wish the government would take up this matter of making roads and settle it. If we had good, smooth country roads, such as they have in some parts of Europe, we should be able to travel comfortably over them all through the year, and our drought animals would last longer, for they would not expend so much energy in drawing their loads. 
thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and share our podcast with a friend. Visit our website at www.enchantedlibrary.net to see our past books or to connect with us on Facebook. If you'd like to support the work we do, you can visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash enchantedlibrary. We appreciate your support. Until next time, friends, happy reading.